Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and joining us today on the show, we have former Indianapolis Colt safety, three-time Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champion Antoine Bate. Antoine, we really appreciate you giving us the time today on the show. Nah, no problem. I appreciate you having me. It's my pleasure, and you officially retired last week from the National Football League, so you call it a career, 14 seasons, over 200 starts, three Pro Bowls, a Super Bowl, so you put together a really great career for yourself, and you officially retire from the league, so congratulations on your recent retirement. Thank you, man. It was um, it was time. Um, it was a great run, like you said, 14 years, man. Um, a lot of good times, a lot of fun times, a lot of uh, great relationships that's, that was made, so... Um, Happy I can just relax and just cheer. Yeah, and a blessing to be able to walk away from the game as healthy as you are, so durable, so consistent throughout the course of your career as you now transition into life after football. And you started a great podcast with former teammate and former Colt defensive back Darius Butler. You guys run the Man to Man podcast together, and you guys have some great insight. You get great guests, former teammates, guys you played against, friends you have from around the league. How's that been so far for you after your first year doing the Man to Man podcast with Darius Butler? Man, it's been fun. It's been fun. I was obviously, you know, switching sides to the media, uh, to the media side. But like you said, man, just being able to um, get, you know, former teammates, friends, guys that we played against, um, coaches. Um, and obviously we're going to dive into into a more where it's different aspects of the game that, you know, people behind the scenes as far as, you know, media people, training staff, um, cooks. Um, you know, equipment managers. We gonna get on the um on the pod as well, just so that the average listener and the average fan can really understand, like you know, what it takes on an everyday process for guys like myself and Darius who you know play on the field, um, able to do what we we're able to do. So, um, I'm excited, man. Darius is excited. I'm you know from the from the love that we've been we've been getting. Um, so and also, man, just be able to talk football, you know what I mean, kick some knowledge, man, and, and just talk trash, man. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, and it's a great show. So if you guys haven't checked it out, I'll put the link down in the comment section, the Man to Man podcast with Antoine Bate and Darius Butler, a couple former Colts talking football. They get great guests. If you guys haven't checked it out, go check it out. And then also, Antoine, off the field, the Bethea Family Foundation. Tell the people a little bit more about your foundation and all the great things you guys do in the community and how they can learn more about that. Man, so you can either go to my um, my website at uh, www.antoinebethea.com and we you know, we talk about uh, what we're doing in the community um, as well. And then you can go to the uh, BetheaFamilyFoundation.com as well. Um, but, you know, now it's just really focusing on uh, my hometown, Newport News, Virginia. Obviously, when I was playing, um, we did a, a lot of um, community work in the respective cities that, that I was in, whether it was Indy, uh, San Fran, Arizona, or New York. But, man, it's just really about um, paying it forward, you know, just trying to give people who need it a helping hand. Our uh, mission statement, you know, we're going in and we're helping um, kids in the inner city continue their education at the high school. It doesn't have to be a two-year, four-year college. It could be a trade, but just helping them get get those resources and also being able to expose them to the resources and the things that's outside of their comfort zone or um, their everyday living. So, again, you know, um, we started in 2010. It was a Safe Coverage Foundation, but uh, just recently, probably two years ago, we changed it to the Bethea Family Foundation. And, again, you know, just paying it forward, giving a helping hand, and, just doing our part to, to to help our people in our community. 
That's great. And let's start off in your hometown of Newport, Virginia. You're growing up as a kid playing football. When did you get into football? Why did you get into football? How did you start playing football as a kid growing up in addition to the other sports? Man, so, you know, I had an old, older brother who was all in the sports, and um, he was seven and a half years older than me. So, you know, at that time, it was like, you know, um, my brother, he was he was, he was guiding me. Everything that he did, I wanted to do. The yeah. clothes that he wore, I wanted to wear. So um, him playing baseball, him playing basketball and football, it was just kind of one of those things. I'm seeing my big bro do it. I want to do it as well. And when I started it, man, I just I had fun doing it. What was high school like? You're playing high school football in Virginia. You got a ton of talent in that Newport, Virginia area as you're growing up. What was the high school football experience like in Virginia? Man, it was fun. It was fun. Just um, the competitiveness that we had out there, like you said, a lot of talent, man. So, you know, just week in and week out, just playing against guys, um, you know, seeing them in the neighborhood, talking trash, you know, friends that you grew up with, um, going to different schools, um, guys that you play rec ball against, you know, and then you get to a point where um, you're playing against them in high school, you're seeing these guys, you know, really excel in their um, respective sports, you know, not only football, I played basketball in high school as well. And, you know, it was just a, a great time, man, where, um, again, it was just a child's game for us, you know, where, where you know, we were trying to uh, find a way to, to get out of our environment, go to school, um, go to school for free and just continue to play this game that we uh, that we enjoy. When you're in high school, you're playing multiple sports, you're playing football, you're playing basketball. Was football always the number one sport? Was it always clear that you were the football player and you played basketball competitively, but you played more for fun knowing that football is going to be the sport that you could excel at and you could go play at the next level? Or was there a certain point, maybe your junior or senior year, where football surpassed basketball and then it became the sport, okay, I could go play in college, I could go excel at the next level? Yeah, that didn't come until late, man. You know, growing up, man, my first love was basketball. You know, playing AU basketball. You couldn't tell me that I wasn't going to, to UNC and play with the Tar Heels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, starting at seven, seven years old on to probably my sophomore year in, um, sophomore year in high school. Um, to this day, you know, we kind of laugh about it. Um, I had a football coach. He was also my history teacher. He played. Uh, college ball at James Madison University. And um, he was like, look, Twan, I know how much you love ball, but I don't know too many 5'10", um, <laughs> you know, point guards or whatever in the NBA. So he was like, just just think about, you know, start focusing on football. You know, maybe you don't go to the league, but at least, you know, you can go to school. You can continue to play for four more years and your parents don't have to issue out all that money. And um, that was something that kind of sat with me. Um, and that was, he was somebody that, Everybody in our school kind of um, listened to. He was just one of those role models that was always in the hallways and just trying to keep us on the straight edge. So him telling me that, man, that's kind of when I focused in on, you know, maybe basketball, maybe football could be that that um, that avenue to where I'm trying to get to. And then when you make your commitment to Howard, do you commit as a junior? Do you commit as a senior? And why would you pick Howard? Why did you end up deciding on committing to Howard University? Uh, it was my senior year, you know. Um, I wasn't highly recruited coming out of um, high school, you know. I, you know, I played some good ball, but I was five uh, nine, like one hundred sixty five, hundred seventy five pounds playing linebacker. So you know, um, scouts coming in, it was like, well, you know, he's not gonna play linebacker on the next level. So it was a late recruit, 
I was getting recruited uh, by Norfolk State and uh, the defensive coordinator at the time, Coach Ray Petty. He ended up getting the head coaching job at Howard University. Um, him and uh, my, my head coach at the time, Coach Carthorne, were good friends. They had a previous stint at Howard University on the coaching staff together. Um, coach Carthorne, you know, doing a good word for me, said, look, man, this guy can ball. This young man can ball. I was able to get a little bit of money from Howard, um, you know, basically like a preferred walk-on. I did that, and, you know, the rest is history. Wow. So a partial walk-on in college to starting 200 games in the NFL, being a three-time Pro Bowler, and winning a Super Bowl. That's one hell of an underdog story. But your senior year, you commit to Howard. You go to Howard. You play there for four years. What was that experience like, going to Howard, being there, playing football? And what was your favorite thing about playing football at Howard? Man, I just – I tell everybody, man, it was like one of them things you really had to experience to understand where, you know, you go to a power five and, you know, you got, you know, probably can get cliques every other week. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we were still going to sports authority. We were buying our tape. We were buying our gloves from sports authority. Um, our weight room was in the basement of one of our dorms. Um, if you go on our, on our game field, you know, it was the football team. It was the girls and men's soccer team. It was um, the lacrosse team, our band practice on this field. Um, we had some soccer clubs that practiced on this field. So it was just the things that we had, the things we didn't have, just made the whole experience in my eyes that much that much more better, you know, made mm-hmm. us appreciate the whole situation um, that much more, man. So um, obviously our homecomings, man, our homecomings were, were, were fun, were great. Um, it was just a, a great time, man. It was, you know, as, as I say to this, to this day, the best four years of my life. That's cool. It's almost more like a high school experience where you have a tight-knit community. It's a smaller school. You got a bunch of teams sharing a field, weight room in the basement, going to Sports Authority, buying your cleats, buying your tape. And then Cato Jr. ends up coaching at Howard. Now I think he's up at UMass, but Cato was there for a while. Did you ever talk to him about how things may have changed since your playing days when you were a student at Howard? Yeah, for sure, man. It was – um. It was a crazy experience because I remember my rookie year, our bye week was the uh, week of our homecoming, and Cato June, Marlon Jackson, Kelvin Hayden, Reggie Wayne, Dwight Freeney came back. And it was just a different experience for them just because, you know, Howard is an mm-hmm. HBCU, um, historically black college uh, and university, where they went to um, PWI's, predominantly white institution. And it was just you – you could just see the difference, you know. Um, and with Cato even playing at Michigan – and then him coaching at HBCU, he could just tell, he was like, man, it's a world of difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for him to be able to have that experience in the league um, and be able to bring that back to Howard University, man, I, I, I enjoyed it. Damn, that must have been one crazy homecoming, bringing all your NFL teammates back to your college and wrapping up your college career. You have a great career at Howard. You declare for the draft. You're a day three guy, sixth round pick. What was that process like waiting day one, day two to get to the day where you get to hear your name called by the Indianapolis Colts? Man, it was, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of emotions, you know, first off, you know, just being in a position where um, you can possibly have your name called. That was one thing. Um, obviously first day goes by, you don't hear your name call. Um, that year it was a lot of safeties going off the board early. So, you know, I was hoping that, um, something would happen. Um, then the second day comes and, um, you know, fourth round goes, fifth round, 
Um, and it's just one of those long days where you see names being called, safeties being called. But finally, I did hear my um, hear my name called. I got that phone call, and it was just like a dream come true. You know what I mean? So, like I say, it's just a a lot of emotions going on in one day, man. But at the end of the day, just having an opportunity um, to to live a a, a dream and uh, get you hear your name called was 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 everything. We're talking with former Colt safety, three-time Pro Bowler, and Super Bowl champion Antoine Bethea here on the For the Culture podcast. And Antoine, did you have any communication with the Colts before the draft? Because I find it fascinating. We had Reggie on the podcast, and he said he never talked to Polian. He never talked to the Colts. He had interviews with like 29 teams. The Colts weren't one of them. They ended up drafting him in the first round. Did you have any pre-draft meetings or interviews with the Colts or with Bill Polian? Did you have any communication with the Colts before they drafted you? in the sixth round of the 2006 NFL draft? I did not. You know, I remember one coach, uh, Scout, came at Howard, and then I played in a um, – uh, it was called the Mc, Magnolia Gridiron, Gridiron Classic in um, – I want to say it was Jackson, Mississippi. It was D1A versus D1AA, and I remember one coach, uh, Scout, coming up to me then. But after that, um, I had no communication with, with – uh, you know, front office personnel as far as, you know, Bill Polian or anything like that. So it was uh, it was a surprise when they did call, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> Aren't we all? As you step right in and you're a huge part of a Super Bowl winning team as a rookie, and going into that first training camp, what was that experience like? You come from Howard, you go into the NFL, your first NFL training camp, and did any vets take you under their wing and kind of lead you and groom you as a young player? Man, um, I'll start off with the latter first. As far as um, I think the people that I kind of gravitated to was one was Rob Mathis, obviously HBCU grad. He was a late round draft pick as well. Um, Gary Brackett, you know, his story was uh, was and is amazing. Um, so those, and then you know, just um, you know, Kelvin Hayden and Marlon Jackson with them going into their second year, I kind of leaned on them, asking them a lot of questions. But my first uh, training camp, man, it was rough. It was rough, man. I, you know, it was a couple of days I kind of questioned myself. Um, that's when we, you know, we had for real, for real, two a days where you know, um, you can have as many padded practices as you want. Um, you know, guys were out there banging, so it was um, it was a little shock for me in first couple practices, man, or well, first training camp. But um, it paid off. It, it definitely paid off. Did you feel like you won the job over the summer? Because you come in a sixth-round pick and you're a week one starter. So did you feel like over the summer and training camp, the preseason, that you went out there and you won that starting job over the summer? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. A, I think it was a process. You know, obviously when I come in and I'm drafted, I think I'm the sixth or seventh safety on the depth chart, you know. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, um, OTAs playing well and, you know, getting some, uh, some reps with the second team and then, uh, eventually with the first team and, you know, obviously we had two great safeties ahead of me at the time, um, you know, uh, Bob Sanders and Mike Doss. Um, and, you know, they were playing, they were playing well. And then uh, Mike Doss ends up getting injured during the, uh, during, during the preseason. Um, but then right after that, I get injured. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, it was one of the things where it's like, okay, take, uh, take advantage of the opportunity. But then, you know, that opportunity kind of falls to the wayside for a little bit just because I ended up spraining my, um, my MCL in practice. So I missed the first preseason game. And then from there, it was all about, you know, 
you know, when you get your chance in these preseason games, man, just go out there and do what you do, and you know, we'll see what a what a chips fall. When did they name you the starter? Was there a conversation you had with Dungy during training camp, during the preseason? Was it leading up to week one? At what point did you find out that you were going to be the starter? Was it early on? Was it towards the later portion of the preseason? Or was it right there leading up to week one, that final week where Dungy came to you and said, you're going to be our week one starter? It was leading up to week one because, um, you know, I played in, I played a little bit in the fourth game. Um I think it was like our second game we played Seattle. I started the third game. It was uh we played the Cincinnati Bengals. Um I got some I got some playing time and then I wanna say the fourth yeah, our fourth and last preseason game we played the Saints. So, um I played a little bit and then they took me out and you know, at that time it was all about just making the team. I, I wasn't even thinking about, you know, if I'm gonna start week one. It was all about making the team. Um, a lot of older guys were joking, like, man, you know, Rook, you know, you, it was, I think it might have been before halftime where I was, I was done playing. And they were like, man, that says a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were like, but you put the work in. So leading up to week one, that's when uh, Coach Dungy and uh, my DB coach at the time, Coach Allen Williams, was like, you know, you know, you're going to be the starter. Wow. And then what's that first start like? You're starting your first NFL game. You come from a small school. You're playing in the NFL. You're at the old Giants Stadium, and it's the Manning Bowl. You have Peyton Manning versus Eli Manning, first time the brothers ever meet, and it's on primetime TV. So you're on Sunday Night Football. What's that whole experience like? Week one, your first game in the National Football League outside of the preseason games, the first game that counts in the regular season. Man, it was crazy. It was funny. Um we had Plastico Birds on the podcast not too long ago, and he was on that Giants team. And um, I was kind of laughing and joking, like, you know, that first game, the Manning Bowl, man, I had butterflies the entire game. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was crazy where I normally have butterflies. I kind of, that kind of, that kind of, I kind of gauge myself, like, when I have butterflies, feels like I'm, that's when I'm ready. And normally, you know, after that first hit, that first tackle, they go away. But I had butterflies for 60 minutes was forgetting the most routine situations, the most routine plays. Um, it was crazy. Just fortunate enough we came out on the um on the on the winning side and I didn't have uh, that many mistakes in my first game. You know what's so crazy, Antoine? That was my first game in person as a fan. I'd never been to an NFL game before. My dad brings me Colts Giants week one of two thousand six. I was in sixth grade at the time. It's my first game as a fan, so I have butterflies, first time in an NFL stadium, your first time as a player playing in the NFL, starting your first NFL game. Then fast forward to high school, I'm teammates in high school, same basketball team as Jabril Peppers, and then you end up starting next to Jabril Peppers in a safety tandem, your final year in the NFL, coming totally full circle, playing for the New York Giants. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy, (laughs) and... And I, I've heard stories about uh, Jabril Peppers, man, and he was all world in high school. Oh. I heard. oh, yeah, in that building, in that building. Not the old Giants Stadium, but MetLife Stadium where you guys played last year. He had two of the greatest high school performances I've ever seen in state championship games against Minka Fitzpatrick, too, so against some top-tier NFL talent. And those were some of the great games I've ever seen on the high school level, one of the great players I've ever seen on the high school level. And what was your welcome to the NFL moment? That moment where you're like, wow, this is the cream of the crop. I am at the highest level of this game now playing in the National Football League. Man, I honestly, man, it was a training camp. That training camp, you know, I had two days in college and I don't know like what the 
it was just different. And that was like one of my first welcome to the league. It was just, you know, I would come to the sideline and be like, man, I, I can barely breathe. Like, this is, this is different. You know what I mean? And, um, I would say that was kind of like one of my first moments, but as far as like in the game, um, on the field, I would say it was a, we played the Jets and I got stiffed on, um, I think it was Jericho, I think it was Kotri. I want to say it was Jericho Kotri and he stiffed on me so hard. Um, he probably stiffed on me, um, like on the three yard line and I ended up falling on the pylon he scored. And I'm like, you know, I'm not used to receivers doing me like that. But that was one of the moments it was like, you know, this is, these are grown men out here. So, you know, I got to get ready. I got to buckle up my chin strap. What was it like playing next to Bob Sanders? You guys were so good together. He doesn't play a lot your rookie year, only four games in the regular season. Then he comes back and has one of the great playoff runs you'll ever see. But what was it like playing next to Bob? How did he make your job easier and vice versa? How did you make his job easier? Man, so it was, you know, in college. You know, you watching him and, you know, just a, a missile, you know, um, 5'8", 5'9", 205 pounds, and just playing the game like he was 6'4", 230, you know what I'm saying? So me coming in as a rookie, you know, he playing, he, he's playing in the box, I'm playing in the post. So I think for, like, one, it kind of helped me just do what I did best at that, at that, at that time was just playoff instincts, you know, playing the post and, you know, go sideline to sideline. And, you know, obviously he, he, he did the, like, the physical stuff, like, as far as, like, being in the box. So just seeing him play, um, seeing how he prepared, um, seeing how he never took a down off, that was just one of the things that, you know, I just kind of had in my mind as my career went on. Um, so as a rookie, when you see that that type of play, and then, you know, fast forward to, to my second year when he wins the defensive MVP, man, it just, you know, he just played the game how that – how the game was supposed to be played at that time. Obviously now, man, I don't know, I don't know how long we anyone would have lasted. How they call the game now, but he just played the game the right way. <laughs> nah, that's so true. And then you go on to play 14 seasons, so you play next to a bunch of different safeties, a bunch of different strong safeties, different defensive backs. What was different though about Bob Sanders? What was different about playing next to Bob? Man, uh, I think Bob, like I think, offenses kind of game plan like where he was, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we got to find 21 at all times. You know, most of the times when you come to the line, the quarterback will identify the middle linebacker. But when he was in the game, it was like, oh, there go 21. We're going to run away from 21. You know what I'm saying? So, and then, like I said, it was just like when you turn on the film, like he was just doing things that nobody else was doing. Like, you know, you had linemen pulling around and he putting linemen on their butts. You know what I'm saying? You had – you know, you had guys like really tensing up when they was meeting him in the hole. So it was um it was just things that like you, you, you rarely see. You rarely see that, you know what I mean? So it was just special, man, just to be out there with him and and and, and, and make plays with him. Yeah, teams were game planning for him. They were calling him out pre snap, yet he seemed to make every play. It didn't seem to matter. Right. They, you know, they, they would run away from him, but he would he would be there. It was like there was like three of them on the field at all times. And I feel like it's like that with Darius Leonard sometimes right now for the Colts as a linebacker where it seems like they have 12, 13 guys on the field sometimes because Darius Leonard's everywhere at once just like Bob was. And then what were practices like getting to go up against Peyton Manning every day in practice, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne? It's not every day 
that a player gets to go up against Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes in practice. And that really gave you a great look where on Sunday you're probably not going to see a quarterback better than the guy you're seeing on Tuesday and Wednesday in practice. So what was that like for you to go up against Manning, Marvin, Reggie, and then vice versa? How did you guys get them better where they got to see you and Freeney and Mathis and Sanders every day in practice? Man, it was very competitive. And I, I just think um, not just, it made the game easier. You know what I mean? It made the game slow down um, for me. You know what I mean? Being that I'm in practice and I'm going against, like you said, Peyton, uh, my rookie year it was Reggie, it was Stokely, it was Dallas, and it was Marv. I'm like, you can't, you, you know, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So, um, when you're in practice and you're facing that, like all doing OTAs all through tra- training camp, sure. When it gets, when it comes to Sunday, obviously there's some other great talent out there, but the the names I I just named, you know, shoot, three, three of those or two, uh, one is in the Hall of Fame now. One's about to be our first ballot, and then hopefully Reggie gets in. So you talking on three three Hall of Famers. So, um, and and then on the on the flip side, where our defense, man, the way we were just running, we was getting to the ball. Um, you know, when we see, we react, we'll fly to it. So I know that made it made them uh, be that much more crisper and on time, or whatever the case may be. So we just we made each other we made each other better. better. And, um, you know, day in and day out, man, it was some battles in practice. And um, at the end of the day, like I said, it just made us a, a better team collectively. No question. As we're talking with former Colt safety Antoine Bethea here on the For the Culture podcast, he also runs his own podcast, the Man to Man podcast, with former Colt Darius Butler. They do a great job. So if you guys haven't checked it out, you got to go check it out. And Antoine, going down the stretch in 06, you guys struggled as a defense. The run defense was really poor. The Jaguars and the Texans ran all over us in the final couple weeks. Then we go into the playoffs and something snaps, something clicks. You go up against Larry Johnson in the first round. He ran for 1,800 yards, 17 touchdowns in the regular season. And then you guys shut him down. You guys completely took him out of the game. He only had 32 yards wild card weekend then you play the Ravens obviously the Patriots and the AFC Championship Bears in the Super Bowl besides getting Bob Sanders back what was it about the defense where you guys made the jump from the end of the regular season in December to the postseason run in January on your way to winning Super Bowl 41 man I wish I could tell you man I don't know what (laughs) I don't know what made that switch go off man but it did and it did at the right time like you said we were definitely struggling as far as rush defense that year um, like you said, Bob came back. Um, and then it, you know it, it's a different season. Once you win the um, once you win the show, man, it's just a totally different season. So it was one of those things where, um, hey, let's let's put the regular season behind us. We can start really fresh. Um, and this would be a good time to show. You know, uh, I know Kansas City. Uh, they were looking at. I know they were looking at Charles because they had. I think they had the best rushing attack. Um, that year. And they were going against one of the teams that had the worst rushing defense. So I knew they thought they were going to come in and it was going to be um, a field day for them. But um, that day, man, we were we were we were flying on we were flying around. And I think we held them to almost like forty yards rushing, and um, that momentum just carried over, you know, to the next game. You know, being able to hold uh, Baltimore to field goals, and then um, obviously, you know, we played the Patriots and. Uh, that was a, a monumental game the way we were able to come back and Marlon was able to seal um seal that uh that seal the game with the interception, man. It was just kinda 
it was a, a storybook, a storybook ending. And you know, we we joke about it, but we was like, man, that was really our Super Bowl when we played the Patriots. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We just felt as though uh, the Bears and as far as you know, they had a great defense that year. But as far as the offensively, man, we was like, you know, uh, we just seen probably the second best offense in the, in the league behind ours. And uh, we was able to come back and do what we did. So uh, we didn't think that Rex Grossman and, 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 and company could do anything with us. And in that AFC Championship game, the Patriots are driving a little bit. They're moving the ball, and then Brady throws that pass over the middle, and it's picked off by Marlon Jackson. What was your perspective of that play? What were you able to see from your spot on the field? And then what's going through your mind? What are your emotions when Marlon Jackson picks off that pass and you know you're going to have a chance to play on the biggest stage and compete for a Super Bowl championship? Man, we was in cover two, um, and that was one of the coverages that we ran a lot and we practiced a lot. And, you know, it was one of those things where coaches is like, in this zone defense, everybody has to see the same thing. You know, if the if the quarterback is looking this way, like everybody should be moving that way. We should be seeing the same thing. And uh, Marlon was, he played, he was a perfect, a perfect nickel. We was a nickel at the time. And his instincts and um, the way he hit, the way he flew to the ball was, was amazing. You know, one joke we, we used to always have was like, you know, we, we was like uh, Marlon had hands like feet. He'd be dropping the <laughs> ball all the time. But, um, you know, the way I, I was actually behind uh, Marlon on the same side playing deep safety. And uh, when Brady, man, when he let the – when he took his hand off the ball and I see Marlon break, I said, man, just catch it. Just catch it. And he did. And, um, you know, from there, man, it was a, a big party. Oh, yeah. And what was it like for you and some of the rookies like Joseph Adai where you guys didn't have – the trials and tribulations that the rest of the team had in 2003, four, five, leading up to the championship in 2006. Like you think of Edron James and that tough Pittsburgh loss, and then he doesn't get to come back. He never has a chance to win the Super Bowl after laying that foundation all those years leading up to 2006. And that heartbreaking loss against Pittsburgh with Nick Harper and the shoestring tackle, Ben Roethlisberger laying on his back. What was that like for you where you do have the ups and downs of the regular season, and of course the defense struggles down the stretch against Jacksonville, against Houston, give up all those rushing yards, but you never had the playoff losses that the rest of the guys had and the narratives that Manning can't win the big one, Polian can't win the big one, Dungy can't win the big one, and then you guys all come together, your rookie season, you run the table, you go all the way, and you win the Super Bowl. So what was it like from your perspective being your first year in the National Football League and being a part of a team that has finally overcome all their demons from the early 2000s. Man, it was um, it was everything. Just being able to be um a part of that and say that you know I had a little bit of, I had a little a little bit to do with that. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, with Edrin, um, just laying one of the guys laying the foundation, um, during that whole time, and um, you know, just like you said, the, the previous year. Um, just being in that locker room throughout the whole year and the guys like, man, that, that should have been our Super Bowl. You know, we should have won that Super Bowl. So just to be able to put that work in um, week in and week out and finally, you know, be able to hoist that Lombardi trophy, man, for me, it was just like, wow, like this is this is crazy. You know, rookie year, I was just at Howard University and now, you know, I'm about to have a Super Bowl ring. I'm a Super Bowl champ, man. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was beautiful. You know what I mean? Besides, um, getting a gold jacket and being in the Hall of Fame, 
Um, I don't know why else you 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 play that you you play that game as far as like in the NFL. You 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 play um, to win a to win a championship. You know, obviously it's, that's the ultimate team goal. And then as far as you know, personal goals. You know, what I mean, you you'll make some money. You're you're great. You know, you get that gold jacket. But as far as team goals, man, like that's what it's about hosting that Lombardi Trophy. No question. Then what's your favorite moment from the Super Bowl? against the Bears. I know the Patriot game kind of felt like the Super Bowl. We finally beat the New England Patriots, but then you still have to seal the deal two weeks later in the Super Bowl against the Bears. So what was your favorite moment from Super Bowl 41 against the Chicago Bears? Man, I think when Kelvin Hayden mm-hmm. uh, got that interception, man, I, and I think that's like kind of solidified for us. Like, man, we're going to win this thing. And um, it was just kind of telling with, you know, Kelvin being from Chicago and playing um, playing the Bears or whatever. But it was a number of things, man. It was, you know, Reggie getting that, um, getting that, uh, that wide open touchdown. Um, Bob getting the interception. Um, Bob had a forced fumble as well. Um, and then, like I said, Kelvin, man, um, Kelvin sealing it with that interception, man. Like those moments kind of like stick in your mind as far as, um, just the Super Bowl. And then Dami and Joe, man, they was, you know, they was, you know, good one, two punts as far as, Toting the rock, man. So it was a it was a great time, man. And then after the game, man, just on the bus, man, smoking cigars, just having a good time, and man, it was just it was just a, it was a great time, man. Great time. That's awesome, and a memory you're going to cherish for the rest of your life. As we're talking to former Indianapolis Colt safety, three-time Pro Bowler, and Super Bowl forty-one champion Antoine Bethay here on the For the Culture podcast. Antoine, a couple years go by, you win the Super Bowl as a rookie. You go back. Again, in 2009, you make a couple Pro Bowls. You put together a really great career for yourself. And then in 2011, the Colts decide to let Manning go after the injury. They draft Andrew Luck. They fire Bill and Chris Pullian. They hire Ryan Grigson. They hire Chuck Pagano. They fire Jim Caldwell. And there's a complete regime change in Indianapolis. What was the biggest difference as a player going from the Pullian regime to the Grigson regime? I mean, initially it wasn't really it wasn't really much, man. Because you got to think, we still had our nucleus there. You know what I mean? We still had our nucleus, so we had we had built a culture where you know really, you know, you really didn't have to do too much. You know what I'm saying? Like you had like the obvious number one pick, well, who, uh, who who that was going to be. You know what I'm saying? As far as um, Andrew, so um, you had a, a a quarterback that could come in and, and lead the uh, the organization. So, like I say, you still had your um, nucleus of guys, AZ, myself, uh, Reggie, Rob. Um, so, again, you know, it's just like, you know, plugging in people who could just fit fit the mold of what, what was built um, years prior. You know what I mean? So, um, that first year was, was, was cool, man. Went to the, um, went to the playoffs. Um, but, um, you know, that, that, that next year, man, it was—I don't know—it was just a little different, man. I don't know if it was being um, being good so quick, you know, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. got to got to got to some folks, but it, it, it changed kind of that second year, man. And um, you know, that's just kind of where it was. And then from there, man, it was just, you know, it was that's where you kind of seen the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, now without a doubt, we all saw it after 2013 and definitely after 2014. The more and more players brought in by the new regime, replacing that nucleus you spoke of from the previous regime, it started to get more and more obvious what was going on in Indianapolis. And you leave after 2013, 
What was that like? Did you want to come back? You still obviously had a lot of juice left in the tank. You go to San Francisco. You're a pro bowler there your first year in 2014 with the Niners. What was that process like? And did you want to come back and keep playing with the Colts after 2013? Or were you ready to move on and test free agency and play elsewhere? No, nah, man. My, 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 um, my, if I, if I, well, the way I envision it that, you know, I was going in my career as a coach. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I played eight years there, you know. I'm, I feel as though I'm, I'm playing well. Um, I'm doing a lot in the community, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm staying out of trouble, so, like, you know, why wouldn't they want to bring me back, you know what I mean? But, you know, they said I was – I had lost a step or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, honestly, you know, I, I kind of knew um, I wasn't – they wasn't going to bring me back just because of – um, you know, we brought Vontae Davis in, so you know they traded for him. So Vontae, Vontae obviously was a um, a big part um, of our team, and then um, they had signed Laron, and they had signed Laron too. I think it was like a three or four year deal or whatever. So I just knew um, at that point just the business aspect of the game that you know I wasn't just going to you know be like okay, well I'll take I'll take pennies. Um, so I just knew they weren't they weren't going they weren't going to be three uh, players in the defense, defensive backfield making millions of dollars. So I just knew that you know what I'm saying. And then like you said, with the new regime coming in and bringing their guys in, um, I was just going to be the odd man out. Now, did I like it? Nah, because I, I wanted to be a coach. You know what I mean? I had been there. Um, you know, I felt as though I was I was uh, an important piece um, at that time. Yeah, and it's just so crazy that they say you lost a step, and then I don't want to take a shot at LaRon, but they bring in a guy who I thought was probably a step behind where you were at, and you were still playing at a high level. You're in-house, and then they go out and they make the move they make. They explore the free agent market. Then you go off to San Francisco. You're still playing at a high level. You still have six seasons left in you, and you're a pro bowler your first year, 2014, in San Francisco. So it's just so crazy to me that they went in the direction they went at that time with you wanting to come back, be a Colt, and ultimately finish your career with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, it's water under the bridge. Like, everything happens for a reason. Um, but just like, you know, um, I wanted to end, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to um, end my career as a Colt. But again, like I said, you know, um, everything happened for a reason. I was able to, to travel travel places I never you know, and stay places I never thought I would I would have stayed in. I never thought I would have been in San Jose, California or um Arizona, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason. It does and it's you know, it's all part of the journey. You gotta play in all these different cities and get different perspectives sure. of, of the country and everything like that, which is pretty cool. And one thing that always jumped off the page to me about your career was your durability, your longevity, your consistency. You didn't miss a single game, a single start from 2008 to 2014. You were always out there, always available for your teammates. You make over 200 career starts in a 14-year career. And you look around the league now and you look around professional sports in general and you see so many guys playing at a high level in their mid to late 30s, even in some cases their early 40s. You look at Tom Brady at 43, what he's doing in the NFC Championship game, what Phillip Rivers just did for the Colts this year, LeBron James. And you look around and these athletes are playing 
deep into their 30s and you were still playing at a high level right up to the end in your mid-30s. So what do you attribute that to your off-season work ethic, your nutrition? I'm sure a little luck goes into it as well, being able to stay as healthy as you were able to stay over the course of your career. But what goes into your body preparation, being able to play 200 career games, being able to play for 14 years in the National Football League? Yeah, like um, people ask me, and I said, man, it's definitely some luck is in there. <laughs> some luck is in there. And then, you know, um, the high power, you know, um, looking over you. And then, you know, like you said, like just the work ethic and just the responsibility of taking care of your body. I think a lot of people think that it's just during the season. But I think the, the, the biggest part is just um, like, you know, the off season. Like what, what type of work are you doing in the off season? Uh, what type of. You know, I you know I started to started really research like what can I do to really help myself and you know it wasn't always just lifting weights it was about stretching you know the diets you know mm-hmm. um, I started doing yoga and things of that nature so and then just during the season getting uh, the right amount of rest and um, eating the right foods and again man just, just just taking care of yourself and just understanding that you know if you take care of your body your body's gonna take care of you. Uh, that's one of the old heads used to tell me, man. So that was something that I just kind of stuck to. Um, and as the years went on, I just, you know, started to add things in the in the, um, in the regime as I got older, as I had more uh, games under my belt and more wear and tear. But for me, man, it was always like, you know, one of, the, one of my first goals going into the season was like play 16 games. And we always talk about it like your availability is your best ability. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, if the coaches can't count on you to be available, man, like they're going to they gonna look for somebody else to get in there who, who they can count on. No question. And let's wrap this up with a little rapid fire. Number one, favorite game of your career? Um, Can it be college? Yeah, sure. I would say it was my first, my first official start at Howard University my sophomore year. Favorite play of your career? My one and only pick six against Phillip Rivers. <laughs> and then that came full circle too with Phil Rivers putting on the horseshoe, which is so funny because I know we all hate Brady. We're supposed to hate Brady. I think Philip Rivers was probably my most hated like opponent. Philip <laughs> Rivers got us out of the playoffs uh, uh, a number of times. Oh, yeah, your second year in 07, the overtime game. Yep. Best teammate, funniest teammate, teammate you were the closest with, best friends with? Um, I would say funniest. Teammate might have might have to go to Dominic Rhodes, Dami, and um, I would say best friend man. Best friend is hard man. I I would say my time with the coach man. We had a tight tight knit crew, uh, a real tight crew where you know still friendships to this day. Like I, you know Rob, Reggie, Bracket, Kelvin Hayden, Marlon Jackson, man, uh, Melvin Bullet. Gerard Powers, um, you know, obviously now, you know, me and D-Buck, man, we, we got a podcast together. So that my whole time at Indy, man, you know, I, I got – I created some great relationships. Best coach you played for? Coach Dungey. Best advice you were given by a teammate? Um, Best advice that I was given was – I mean, it was so simple. <laughs> just like uh, it was just take care of your body. Uh, like I said before, take care of your body and um, your body will take care of you and, and the rest will be history. And finally, your favorite thing about playing in Indianapolis? Uh, I'll say the fans, man. The fans show love. 
um, all the time. And what I like about it, like, they understood the game. Like, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm a fan just because I'm a fan, but they understood ball. Um, and whenever, you know, whenever you, you know, ran into a fan, you know, you know, outside the, outside the building, outside the arena, wherever, it was always love, man. So, um, I, I appreciate it and love the fans. Yep. And the fans love and appreciate you right back. And I want them all to listen to the man to man podcast. One of the best podcasts out there. The guests you guys have, you mentioned Plexico Burris before, and you guys have had a bunch of former Colts and not just Colts, but guys around the league and stuff like that, and that's only going to continue to expand. So one more time for the people listening about the Man to Man podcast. Nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Like I, like you said, the Man to Man pod, and myself, uh, my co-host, uh, Darius Butler. Um, obviously, it's the Man to Man pod for a reason. You know, Man to Man, obviously, a coverage that, you know, DBs run, but then we also talk about, um, you know, stuff that men have to deal with off the field, you know. So uh, we have, you know, long list of guests from you know different walks of life so you want to uh, listen listen to it listen to some good ball some good talk about ball and and, and good talk just about life in general man check us out um on any any way you listen to podcasts and again you know we go live on um on youtube mondays at 11 um so check us out is that your next move now as you're officially retired post career you want to get more into media because i know i think darius has done like stuff with NFL Network and CBS, like I think he's trying to really get into that. Is that your next plan too, as well, or not? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm new to retire, so I'm just, I'm <laughs> taking my time. Um, I, I could definitely see, um, you know, some interest there, but you know, I, I have to, have to wait and see. Yeah, no rush. Take your time, feel it out. And one more time for the people listening, how they can learn more about your foundation, the Bethay Family Foundation, all the great work you guys do, giving back to the community, helping out. How could they learn more about the Bethay Family Foundation? Yeah, the Bethay Family Foundation, you can go to my website, www.antoinebethay.com. Um, you can check us out on there, the Bethay Family uh, Foundation.com um, as well. Um you know, we love a, a dollar, five dollar donation. Just know it's going to a good cause. It's um, it's helping people. So again, that's the uh, AntoineBethay.com. Perfect. And with over 200 career starts, three Pro Bowls, a Super Bowl championship, the recently retired Antoine Bethay. One day, I believe you belong in the Colts Ring of Honor, one of the great Colts of the 2000s. And we appreciate you taking the time to be with us today on the For the Culture Podcast. Man, no problem, man. I appreciate you having me. That was former Colts safety Antoine Bethea, three-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champ. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast.